The A-List is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where you get 10 weeks of live Zoom classes with a working ad pro. Ad nerds from all over the world have discovered Ad House as the affordable alternative to, or precursor to, traditional ad schools. Ad House classes max out at 14 students, so you get personalized instruction, and your classmates can become lifelong colleagues in your advertising career. The instructors at Ad House are all A-list creatives from top agencies and brands. Some have even been guests on the A-list podcast. Who knows? You might just meet your future boss. And Ad House classes happen on Zoom at night because you shouldn't have to quit your day job or move cities to take an ad class. Class schedule, prices, application information, and more can be found at adhousenyc.com. Apply today. That's adhousenyc.com. Ad House Advertising School for ad nerds only. there, ad nerd. This is the A-List Podcast, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, creative for hire at tomchrisman.net and one of the head ad nerds at Ad House Advertising School. I'm recording this intro on International Woman's Day 2021, which is appropriate because today you'll hear my conversation with one of the baddest women in advertising, Eva McCloskey. Eva's story is inspiring. She didn't go to college, but that didn't stop her from finding herself as a VIP media liaison at the Salt Lake City Olympics at the ripe old age of 21. She went on to become one of the founders of the Barbarian Group, as well as being a key part of Co-Collective in the early days. Look those agencies up and prepare to be amazed. Oh, and she also may or may not have been in the CIA at one point. I couldn't get a straight answer. (laughs) Today... Eva is the Managing Director at the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts, an invite-only assembly of leading visual arts professionals from design, advertising, and PR. You can request a membership or enter one of three award shows at AIVA.org. There's a lot of lessons in this one, so get out your notebooks and get ready for my conversation with Miss Eva McCloskey. Hi, Eva McCloskey. Hi, Tom Chrisman. Um, I've known you for many years. We we worked together at Co Collective back when I first went freelance in 2011, and you were so nice, and you, uh, it was a great place to work, and you were a big part of that. Um, Thank you. But, uh, and I always thought, like, what a, what a tough lady. I've since, I've since uh, seen you. (laughs) I've since seen you uh, roller roller skate around and 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 beat people up. Um, it's true. And uh, and you know I'm always I'm always fascinated by you. So where where did you and you're from? You're from the Boston area, I believe. I am from the city of Boston proper. And that's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. Yeah, and I ended up staying there for quite a while. I didn't move to New York until I was almost thirty. So wow. Stayed and a you lot seem longer. Like such a New Yorker now. That's good. I yeah, think. You're, I've been here for a long time. You're such a New Yorker. Um, but what uh, growing up? What was that like? What What was your What was your growing up situation? Well, um, I think it was a pretty typical city kid 
growing up in Boston life, you know, um, I spent my time in public school and doing city kid things. And, um, you know, it was really, it was fun. I don't know. Interesting, weird, C- very different. <laughs> city kid gangs. Is that what you just said? City kid life. Oh, you know? city kid life. Okay. So you weren't in a gang. Uh, not officially. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and growing up, were you, were you sort of into creative stuff? You know, I loved reading. I was really quiet. Um, I would prefer to, you know, sit in a room and, and read over doing anything else social. So that was really fun for me and easy to do. And um, I, I suppose that's creative. You know, I, w- I wasn't much of an artist, um, nor am I am, nor am I now. So um, I still do love to read as much as I did when I was a kid. So that's yeah. sustained. What did you want to be? when you were a little girl? You know, this is really funny. I didn't, uh, this sounds so much more depressing than it it really is, but I didn't ever think about growing up. You know, I didn't have any aspirations. I was really involved in my day-to-day, as so many kids are. Yeah. Um, And I just never, you know, I think, I, I remember being stumped when I was a little kid because I would have to come up with an answer because that's all, anyone asks you. So it would change and have no relationship to, to my feelings about anything. Yeah. Uh, astronaut, veterinarian, marine biologist, whatever, just, you know, anything that I would hear anyone else say, because I just didn't think about it. Did it scare you? Were you like, uh, uh, I'm going to have to, cause that, that uh, my kids are now 16 and 18 and they are both uh, sort of in that place where they really have to start thinking about like, what do they want to do or be or learn or pursue? No, they don't. They're only 16. You're right. They don't. They don't. <laughs> Maybe they don't, but uh, like, they feel like they do. Uh, sure. Did you feel, feel like you did at that point? Like in, in high school, like, were you starting to be like, uh Oh, no, I felt zero pressure to do anything. You know, I was really enthusiastic about getting out of my parents' home as early as possible. I felt ready to be an adult, whatever that meant. I left home really early. I was 15 and uh, just started working whilst going to high school, um, which (laughs) continued on. I never went to college. I just uh, worked because I needed money to pay rent. And it ended up working out for me. And what jobs did you do? Um, I worked at uh, Alban Pan was my first proper official job. Um, and that really quickly snowballed into uh, getting scooped to work in an answering service upstairs from the Oban Pan. I used to give all the older women free coffee when they would come down just because it was fun. And uh, they thought I was a cute young gal yeah. and <laughs> invited me up to you know make twice as much money hourly. Wow. And so I, I did that. It was just through total luck and happenstance. If there's any uh, thread through my life, it's that I just am in the right place at the right time, I think with uh, a loud mouth sometimes. So, you know, that very um, (laughs) quickly turned into something that was a really great opportunity for me to make my own schedule. Uh, I ended up um, having a really funky 
last few years of high school. So I was working an overnight shift at the answering service, uh, living on my own, uh, going to school for a few classes in the morning and then going to sleep and then waking up and doing my thing and then going to work at 11 o'clock at night. It was really great. Yeah, it was what, weird. What is an answering service for those for those who maybe don't know what an answering service is? Because that sounds that sounds like something out of another time. I know, I know they still exist, but what they're, is it? They're digital now, but it's you know the place that you forward your phones if you're a pediatrician or uh, the super for a housing complex, or um, we also answered the uh, phones for the. Massachusetts office of the CIA and we got a lot of really amazing um mentally ill people uh, but making amazing phone calls so we had lots of logs of uh names we ignore or uh people that we do actually have to page someone you know this was uh long before the days of um regular cell phone use so paging folks and having them call back in and it's like you know um not as aggressive as telemarketing, but so uh, so you, you you might say you worked for the CIA when you were. You could woman. say that yeah. indeed, indeed. That's very cool. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't think I, I think it is luck that you that you got that job. But also you saw the opportunity because a lot of kids working in an Aubon Pan might see these old ladies coming in and not give them the free coffee, not interact with them, not be nice to them, not ask them, hey, what are you guys doing? Where, where are you working? What and you are that kind of person who engages with people, right? Yes, you have to be. I mean, working the register at Oban Pan is like uh, the most boring way to spend your hours ever. So uh, you have to do what you can to keep things entertaining. But I, I do think it's it's great to talk to everyone and and observe. And, you know, I think treating everyone the way you want to be treated is a really important uh, rule that not a lot of people follow and, and one that I try really hard to practice in life, in work and, and all of it. Yeah. Where did you learn that? Where did that come from? Was that self-taught? I, well, I suppose it must be, you know, I, I my folks uh, are, you know, really wonderful, kind people. Um, who still don't understand what I do <laughs> because <laughs> they've got uh, blue collar jobs that don't uh, translate to offices at all. And they don't, they don't get it, which is fine. I think that's the story of everyone's parents, unless yeah. you follow in their footsteps, right? It's like, yeah. makes no sense. What, what, so whatever your kids end up doing, you're not going to get it, Tom, but that's going to be okay. That's true. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And I, I try to keep that in mind when I'm, when I'm telling them, like, what do you want to be? Because then I go, mm-hmm. wait a minute, you're not going to know now. Because right. whatever you are now, you should just be experiencing. And I think that's what you did. You went out and started experiencing things. What happened after the, um, so, so you're not going to college. How do you stay up on like, what's the next thing for you? It's just kind of like what you feel like doing at that point. Or did you have a goal? Just well, I know. Again, just living in the moment, not doing much else except, you know, what teenagers do. And I, uh, at the answering service, uh, quickly uh, became a manager and ended up uh, working in the sort of leadership 
role there. And, and one of my colleagues ended up uh, leaving the answering service, starting to do some recruiting work and uh, knew that there was a big company that needed a receptionist. Um, and that was like a big break for me. Um, I was still in high school, so I didn't tell anyone and ended up uh, getting hired uh, before I was finished with school and just made that work, uh, turned 18 and was able to legally <laughs> work there. Um, and that was the beginning of <laughs> the beginning of the end, really. Um, <laughs> now, when you heard about the was, company that wanted to have a receptionist, were you like, oh, that's for me? Or is it like, how much money does it pay? And I was like, I can figure that out. Oh, better hours, a uh, lot more money. Right. Um, you know, I was paying my own rent at this point. So college really wasn't even on the table as, as something that was an option for me. I was much more interested in uh, working and learning, but, um, you know, it wasn't going to be in at Emerson, which is, you know, where I think everyone expected me to, to go as a city kid in Boston. Um, but that that receptionist gig was at John Hancock, which was this huge, beautiful building in the middle of the city that I yeah. had driven past many times before, didn't know what went on inside the building. And it was really surreal when I was able to, to work there. And I worked my way up uh, really fast because I had amazing uh, support around me that um, recognized that I could do more than than I was at the time. And it was a really fantastic opportunity. Again, it was uh, a lot of hard work, but uh, the opportunity presented itself. And, and I jumped in and, and took it as best I could. Yeah. And what, what advice do you have for, for uh, young people that are taking that first job at like a big company like that, where, you know, maybe it's not their dream job, maybe it's just like better hours and, you know, uh, and they don't quite know what they want to do, but how, like, how did you stay motivated to like advance like that with the, with the people around you? How did you, how did you accept that help? I guess. Well, I was, I was really lucky because I was surrounded by these really smart people who were doing really interesting shit. So like it, it wasn't much of a sacrifice for me. I didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew it was going to afford me more opportunity than I had in the moment. So thinking about what you want to do, not necessarily at that job or in the next one, but two steps ahead is I, I found a really useful uh, tactic and a, and a really good way to think about it. So, you know, there are things like um, generational wealth and generational poverty, which are really going to impact the lens through which you're making these decisions. So my advice would be really different <laughs> depending on who I'm talking to. But if yeah. you're someone who um, doesn't necessarily have a door open to you uh, to begin with, you, you may have to take a more uh, winding path in. So maybe it's yeah. not going to be an ideal option, but just do it, figure it out see what's there, find those people who are going to look out for you. There's someone there and take their help when they offer it to you. Yeah. How, how did you know that they were giving you help and not just telling you like new, more response? Cause I, I, you know, I know myself at that age, I might've been like, Oh God, now I got 
this guy. You know, it's like, yeah, oh no, he's gonna want me to do more work. Um, how do you how do you notice? I guess I guess living on your own is different, right? Like you didn't have the like the well, I had to pay rent, on. you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's gonna be um, <laughs> your motivation is is going to be different, and so if you can see the opportunity for what it is, then your your whole world will shift in a positive way, you yeah. know. I did really unfun things like I had to wake up and get five newspapers and deliver them to the CEO's uh, front desk of his office before 6 a.m. every day. That was awful. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it really sucked. I didn't want to do it, but I, I sucked it up. I did it. I got to know him because of that. I was open to all of these opportunities that never would have been offered to me otherwise. Yeah. I got to go to the Olympics. Wow. I got to uh, help write speeches for really important people. And I got to know public relations and crisis communications and sports marketing and writing on this deep level that I never would have been exposed to if I hadn't opened my mouth and, uh, you know, pushed my way in a little bit and spoken up for myself and um, listened to the help that was being offered to me. Yeah. I think that was a big part of it. When you say open your mouth and spoke up for yourself, what, what did you, what did you say to him that you think, like, how did you, how did, what do you think made him go, Oh, I want to, I want to help this young lady. And, well, I was really sassy and I was really um, unafraid of him. In this particular instance, I didn't care who he was. I hadn't been, you know, working at this insurance company for decades and decades. And, you know, he was incredibly intimidating, super brash, um, incredibly smart. He was a former ad guy. Yeah. And, Can you say um, his name? Can you tell us Dave, his name? David D'Alessandro. Okay. I, I expect he's long since retired now. Yeah. Um, but he was fantastic and just super, super smart. Didn't give a shit, did his thing. And because I didn't care who he was, he just couldn't get enough of me. <laughs> and so I, you know, there was a little bit of faking it until you make it. He had no idea how young I was. Nobody did. That was that was the the end for me when people figured out how young I was because it yeah. was just uh, so ridiculous uh, on paper yeah. <laughs> and um, you know you you just there's there's a little bit of theater involved in all of it I think especially advertising <laughs> right so there's a little bit of theater in sort of acting as if you sort of you know have, what you're doing yeah you belong here Right. I, you know, I had no business uh, doing what I was doing. There were folks, you know, in college learning to do what I was being exposed to every day, racking up a lot of debt and um, then fighting for those receptionist jobs four years later when they got out of college. So and, for and me and my like path, it worked. Love them at that point, right? It's like they, definitely. Yeah. Oh my God. So you just you just like skip the you skip the line, and you were just like, I'm just gonna go get that. that I'm just gonna go get that thing now. 
now because I needed it now. So you just had to figure it out and make yeah. it work. And I really did fall right into it. I, I, I certainly didn't even know that public relations or advertising was a thing that existed when I was a kid. I didn't get it, you know? So then uh, when you saw that, were you like, ooh, that seems like something I would want to do, public relations? Like, what about well, it was like a... I was, I was good at it, uh, frankly. You know, I, I, um, I was, because I was such a reader, I was a good enough writer to pull it off. And um, I wasn't uh, afraid of, of screwing up. That's the other thing that I think is so beautiful when you're young is it's it's okay to to really royally mess up in a lot of t- circumstances yeah. and it's going to be okay. Yeah. So that freedom is um really powerful. Yeah. What uh what did you mess up? What would tell us tell us a story of of when you royally messed up? Or or did it well, it's not so big a deal when you look back, but it, Yeah. It's not so big a deal. It's like nothing, right? Yeah. Um, I, I had some really stressful moments dealing in the very early days dealing with some very uh, fancy and important people as their media liaison. And I think um, just sort of <laughs> learning how to deal with uh, very important people as normal yeah. people is is something that can only come with practice. <laughs> what is a media liaison and how did you get that job? Well, that was at John Hancock. So yeah. that, you know, um, it was at the Olympics, it was helping the folks with whom we were contracted to get to their events. Um, in some cases, helping write some of their talking points and speeches and really just uh, making sure that they uh, did what they needed to do on behalf of your employer. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of a handler aspect yeah, to like it. Like a publicist, like you, like when exactly. you hear uh, on talk shows, when they, when they look over and they go, Oh, she's not happy. Like you, you were that person. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking your head going, don't talk about that. Yeah, um, a what, lot of what, zip the lip uh, motions. What? Where times. was the Olympics that year? Salt Lake City. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was fantastic. I spent a month living in Utah. Um, I had to give Marie Osmond my uh, snow pants one day because she like wasn't dressed well enough to sit on a metal bench and watch the ski jump event. So <laughs> to like just give her my pants. So Marie and be cold. Wore, wore your pants. That's fine. She did. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I mean, it was amazing. I, I just, I was exposed to like so many bizarre, amazing opportunities. I got to see Canada and the U.S. play a gold medal hockey game next to Micah Ruzioni. I got yeah. to uh, have dinner with Mitt Romney. I mean, it was, it was just this really bizarre world, which is par for the course, I think. Yeah. And through all that, you're like, how old were you at that point? 21. So I could drink, <laughs> I could drink legally finally in a town in, where yeah. there is no alcohol. Yeah, Mitt Romney um, wasn't or... going to order a bottle of wine. That's indeed, that's, indeed. Yeah. And you know, it was this was extra hilarious because our CEO was uh, such a polarizing, amazing person. He was very serious about security, and so anytime I left our campus, I had my own. Um, 
secret service agent security person who would have to like tail me. <laughs> and it was, it was bizarre. Uh, he had a little earpiece in is yeah. Uh, Indeed. Oh my God, that's so Indeed. Cool. Indeed. Um, was there ever anybody who was like, how is she like, did you, did you piss people off? Cause you didn't have the, the, the college I, and the. I pissed off a lot of people. And that is why I um, needed to find a new job. <laughs> Eventually it was, you know, one of those things where you just don't assume that someone isn't naturally in the same world as you. So maybe someone looks younger or older than you, but there's no way that they're, you know, decades off from you. And it is a unique circumstance. It doesn't happen very often uh, because of ageism, (laughs) unfortunately, on the older end. And, you know, because you're just in high school or college on the younger end. So, um, yes, once, once folks found out how young I was, I would start to get a lot of um, uh, like uh, official reprimands for my uh, dress code uh, that I was breaking. And, you know, you're supposed to wear pantyhose and, and still there were a lot of kind of draconian rules still on the the handbooks back in the day. Um, So, you know, I did feel um hostility low-grade hostility from plenty of folks which uh i would say you need to use to fuel yourself and feed off of that and you've got to have a thick skin and you can't be too bothered by that and you've got to do good work that's what it comes down to in the end is if you can you know point to your work product and your output as being what it needs to be or better, then it really doesn't matter if someone doesn't like that you wear fishnets to work or right. that you're younger than you should be. Or I had a right. nose ring at the time, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's incredible. I didn't, I didn't know all that about you. Um, and you eventually you, you got into like recruiting. I, I met you as the sort of, the creative recruiter and the sort of uh, almost the casting agent at, at, at Code Collective. Um, yes. And how, how did you transition into, into that world of, of advertising? And, and It was, again, pretty, you know, uh, naturally unnatural. I was in Salt Lake City uh, when uh, a buddy of mine gave me a call. I had been helping uh, two friends sort of um, think through a very loose idea about starting a company, a few freelancers getting together. 9-11 had recently happened and the freelance budgets in the Boston ad world, at least, were pretty dry. Mm -hmm. And so folks were having a hard time getting their own gigs. And the idea was that if they came together as a small collective, then they'd have, you know, a little more power theoretically. So I knew PR. My buddy Ben uh, knew that and wanted some help from me. So I, on the side, ended up writing a press release for these pals who had started a company that uh, became known as the Barbarian Group. And I was their first employee. So that was my first world or my first jump into the world of uh, digital advertising. Yeah. So. so you're 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 in this John Hancock job, and it's sort of like you're getting a lot of flack, and you're feeling like you're in like the old madmen uh, world of like. 
and there's this new thing because the barbarian group sounds like something you know like i think of it as you know what it became which is this right. cool digital they had their the longest desk in the world um and uh, like that's so of the future right you're living in the past uh so you just decided to jump were they like all right we're doing it do you want to come work here please come help us yeah it was it was really casual again another the beauty of youth is that <laughs> you generally have fewer responsibilities and so yeah. it was an easy decision to make i and you didn't definitely have the college debt to pay off as well i had no college debt to pay off yep and i um i had what felt like a very cushy secure it was very well paying job especially for someone who was 21 and it did feel it it's there was like this hint of oh i should feel nervous about this or or this should feel scary or like uh i don't know if i should do this yeah. but there was no there was none of that it made total sense to me in the moment yeah. um and that was because i was already starting to get a little bored and feel a little hostility around me and it made sense in the moment and it didn't matter that it was a pay cut and it didn't matter <laughs> that um i was the well i was their first employee so there there was no one else it was right. my buddies you know so i knew i knew these guys socially from the boston world and P the pr ad world is that was that it was not even just socially, just socially um from there was a, a club called man ray in Cambridge, where I did performances with a friend of mine who was dating uh, one of the Barbarian founders at the yeah. time. So, so truly socially. What kind of performance? Like um, artsy, weird, uh, like latex, fake blood, kind of uh, Friday night, late night performances. At oh my a God. Club. Yeah. How, how did you get into that? Was that just something that you sort of, you were at the club and you were like, I want to do that? Just, I was just with friends. Yeah. Someone who, one, one person I had met through the answering service actually, and he lived with, uh, you know, 10 people in a loft. And I became very close friends with a few of those folks. Um, Nicole McDonald is uh, an amazing uh, creative in the ad world. She's still a dear friend of mine to this day. And she was um, in charge of this really amazing performance night. And uh, so I was a big part of that for a number of years. Um, and uh, Rick Webb was an avid photographer at the time. And that's how I knew him was as the, the guy that was always at the club taking pictures yeah. um and he he turned out to be this brilliant uh, <laughs> this brilliant guy uh so it's again like small town small world a lot of luck a little bit of attitude and just doing good work was was the path forward you know yeah. i really um you know the early days of the barbarian group were very down and dirty. We didn't have an office for a, a long time. Um, we had some really great clients like Nike and um, some really fantastic partners right off the bat, but it was a, a pretty slow burn and it was um, people doing it differently. We were breaking a lot of rules that we didn't know we were breaking. What were the rules? And, 
Well, the rules were that you don't talk about uh, being a creative part of the project that a big agency does if you're just the digital guys, right? So that was something that I worked, you know, I worked on it for 10 years, basically. But I tried really hard to change the way that the industry spoke about digital production companies. And I think that we accomplished that. And it was a different time and place than we're in now, certainly. Um, You guys, didn't you guys do subservient chicken? We did. That was you. We sure did. Everybody that was thinks us. it was creative uh, by, by, uh, uh, by Crispin and Bogusky. Certainly, Crispin was a big part of it, but we were as big a part of it as Crispin. Yeah. And, and because Burger King was Crispin's client, not ours, it was an interesting, unknown path. And so I learned a lot on the ground, and it was great. Yeah. And again, you need thick skin to do it <laughs> and do it well, but uh, you can figure it out as you yeah. go. What's the difference when you're, when you're talking as a PR person, um, you know, PR is that sort of, you got to have those contacts in, in media and, and all the different newspapers and the magazines. How do you make the switch from being a PR person for a big, you know, financial institution talking to financial times and you know, all those global papers. And then suddenly you're talking to some guy at ad week or ad age or something. Is it different or is it the same thing? It's It's the same. It's the same thing. It's, you know, it's all, it's all sales. It's all relationships in the end. And it's really being able to, with a straight face, speak passionately about whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And so if you can't do that, then you're definitely in the wrong business. <laughs> you know, I think that's, I, I certainly didn't know anything about advertising, but I knew how to talk about a good story. And I knew how to passionately tell you about something that you should get excited about. Yeah. And that was all it is in the end. I think that we were in a really special time and place when Barbarian was starting. And so, we were uniquely positioned to make some noise about something that was starting to become a problem and shift how people thought about things and and spoke about them and wrote about them. And and then, you know, that turned into um, getting different kind of clients and projects and employees, et cetera. And it was a good snowball from there. Was there pushback on the whole, like, did people call you guys out for like, hey, you can't do that? Did yes. You lose business because of it? I'm sure we lost. Well, you know, I lost a lot of, um, well, I learned a lot from that, actually. I would say uh, some of the agency PR folks who I encountered who were threatened by some tiny little nobody weird digital company trying to have a conversation with them about sharing credit equally uh, is a tough conversation, obviously. And not everyone responds well. And I learned the most from the people who treated me the worst in those situations. Mm. And what I learned from them <laughs> is, uh, you know, to never underestimate anyone ever who I thought was unimportant or irrelevant to the conversation. 
Um, because I just would get such aggressive, um, pushback from folks that it, all it did was spurn us on even stronger. And it, it made it clear that we were onto something and it was the right thing to do. And, you know, on the other side of that, there were just as many folks who could appreciate that this was the right, sensible way to do things. Um, and let's be professional about it and let's figure out how to make this a win for everyone. So, you know, to actually answer your question, I think it's all the same in the end. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's interesting that, that the, the pushback uh, spurned you guys on even more. That's, that's sometimes when you, when you see somebody really fighting against you hard, you go, Oh, wait a minute, maybe we're on the verge of something right here. Like they're coming hard. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Woo. You're really, this is a real problem. Okay. Uh, Yeah. We must be right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if if nobody cared, then, then nobody cared and nobody would have written about it. And, you know, I think, um, again, if, if the output isn't there, you can't talk about it. Right. But if you are doing good work and you believe in it, then there is room to, talk about that in a great way and have that turn into to new business. And so that's, it's a simplification, but that's what we did at the barbarian group. And it was so much fun because we didn't know how to do it the right way. So we just did it my way. <laughs> and I had total trust from uh, Benjamin Palmer and Rick Webb yeah. um, and, and all of the other leadership at, at barbarian. And they just did what I said and they were, Amazing. <laughs> like what, what, name a weird thing that you did that they I were, just, is I, there... I made Benjamin come with me to truly every single awards event that you could buy a ticket to. And right. it didn't matter what it was, but we just needed to meet people and we needed them to have conversations with us and, and see that we could be a valuable asset and partner and that we were doing award-winning work and that, yes, they should hire us either from the client side or from the agency side. So it was an interesting um, road to, so I think all agencies uh, and non-agencies struggle with this sort of outside threat to the agency world and the advertising agency life as we know it. And digital agencies were a version of that uh, back in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is now, like, you know, content creation shops, it's, uh, potentially. It's, it's, the, it's ever evolving, or it's the clients now, I guess. But It's the consultancies. <laughs> it's consultancies, business consultancies, though. Yeah. Or innovation consultancies. Accenture. All of it. Accenture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking over Droga. Um, yes. The... The, uh, yeah, the going to the award shows, going out, and uh, this is something that uh, when I was at Massimo Goldstein, I would, I would just harp on, like, we got mm-hmm. to go to the party. And I think a lot of my success in this business is because I went to the parties. It's mm-hmm. stupid. It's stupid. Yeah. But it's because they see your face, and they, they talk to you, and you're funny, you're a nice guy, you, you know, and then you get a job. Like it's, it's that simple. Um, you know, and like you said, you do have to have the work as well. They, they can't just meet you at a party and be like, Oh, he's funny. And then hire you. 
have to say, oh, he's funny, and then look at your website and say, oh, wow. Oh, and his really, book is good. Yeah, he's really good, <laughs> yeah. and he's a nice guy. Right. Uh, so, right. like, I think going to the events, joining the clubs, being on the, you know, being on the panels and doing all that stuff, as boring as it sometimes is and as sort of feeling like you're sort of playing some sort of weird game, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really important to do it and to have fun with it. Critical. And, to, and to meet people and be interested in them and not just selling yourself. I'm sure you didn't just walk Indeed. around going, Barbarian Group's awesome. You know, it was no. more just like, hey. Soft ben, sell. Yeah, Ben and Eva Soft are sell. fun. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. doesn't hurt if you can throw a good party as well. You know? <laughs> Every once in a while, you've got to throw one or two. Now, but... I, I want to get to your new thing, the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts. Yes. Uh, do you call it AVA or do you, do you just say Academy of uh, Interactive and Visual Arts? You know, it depends on who I'm speaking to, uh, yeah. but it can be confusing since my name is Eva. So right. I generally say the <laughs> Eva, Eva. It's a really good email address. Yeah. Um, but I generally say the Academy. The Academy. I love unless, the academy. Unless the academy will be confused with another academy, right. in which case. If you're in Hollywood, then you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you, I mean, this is sort of a good segue because like you are now throwing those uh, award shows where people can, can mingle uh, eventually after this year um, and either virtually or, or real. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in between, and I want you to just touch on in between, you, you sort of turned into like a recruiter in the middle there or like, mm -hmm. a, like you really took on, how did you go from PR to recruiter and what's... How does that lead to the academy? Well, I just I'm sorry that uh, has to be so quick because I no yeah. I'm fascinated with all the rest of it. Yeah. Um. So I I and we can go over. Do you new... have? Can you go over? I can go over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I can cut. Um, I can cut this. Thing. Yeah. Cool. I know. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. No, you're not um, rambling at all. This is the best part. I, have, I don't know I how I'm going to cut it. Throat. Did I'll, I tell you? What I, I do when I cut these things is I just cut myself out. So when I'm talking, right, perfect. I just see my sound thing. I'm, I'm going to look at this right, right here. I'm going to be like, oh, this is where I talk about the fact that I shouldn't talk so much. Anyway, go ahead. Perfect. Go on. Uh, so, you know, I stayed at Barbarian Group for a long time. I was there uh, uh, for almost nine years. Wow. Um, right straight through the acquisition uh, by Chael. And it was just time to go at that point. Yeah. I um, had done a lot. And, and wasn't excited about doing whatever the next chapter was there for me. So I poked around and was looking for what was out there, didn't know what I wanted to do. And the very compelling Ty Montague and I ran into each other at a book party. And uh, he told me about a little thing that he was doing. And um, we had known each other again, from the awards, from the parties, but had done a project together. It was one of his last at JWT and one of my last at the Barbarian Group projects um, for a gum company, I believe. But it was just a really cool... Was it Stride? Um, I don't think so. I can't remember. Stride or Trident? I mean, those are the two gums we had. Maybe it was... Yeah, so, but it was a really fun, interactive project, and Ty was having trouble... Um, getting JWT to 
talk about it in the right way. He knew that I would be a resource. And because JWT had hired Barbarian to do the project, we all got together, figured it out. And he remembered that, uh, I don't know, a year later. So we just got to talking and he uh, convinced me that I should join his new not agency company that he was starting with the brilliant uh, Rosemary Ryan. And so I took another leap and it was an amazing three years there. Yeah. Um, Co-collective. At Co-collective. Yeah. Yep. And they were, they were doing something really different and they're brilliant. And I learned again, so much from just absorbing the people who I was in the same room with and, and really just uh, learning from how they did things and ad- adapting that to whatever version I was going to, to do. And, yeah. um, and that's what I did. I did uh, some consulting work on my own um, after my time at co, which was amazing. And I, I really um, melded my communications background with my talent background um, at Co-Collective, I was responsible for curating the teams and the specialist experts who we would work with, like yourself. Wow. And so um, that, I, you know, I got to know so many amazing, brilliant yeah. folks that way, on top of all of the amazing people who I had met at the Barbarian Group and um, John Hancock. And I had a brief stint at, at Goodby, which was amazing. And just all of these smart people doing brilliant work and, and companies who needed to know them on a deeper level that they weren't able to do without someone like myself mm. doing the matchmaking. Yeah. So that's what I did for a few years on my own. And I worked with folks like IBM. I did a lot of work um, when they were building up their marketing innovation group inside their business. So I got to work with their agency partners, like Ogilvy and Havas and BSA, and got to work with some amazing folks there making those matches and standing up those teams. And it was brilliant. Yeah. So then um, I uh, took a break, like many women do, (laughs) to start a family. And uh, true to form, I uh, did things really differently and it was a surprise and I found myself uh, pregnant and consulting and (laughs) having those worlds collide in what felt like a really disastrous way. Like the way that I had been living my life, you know, the the benefits of consulting and, and being able to travel on a whim and, yeah. <laughs> you know, live in LA for six months or, comp- you know, all of yeah. it was just not uh, staring down the barrel of being six and then seven, eight, nine months pregnant was like, oh shit, I have to make some changes. So um, I took some time off and spent a little time taking care of my baby and realized coming out of that, that I really missed what I had had at co-collective at mostly the barbarian group, but just this sense of building something bigger than myself. I, I realized through going out on my own that while I was able to do really great work for any number of folks, I wasn't, proud of what I was building because there wasn't much to, to show for it. And so I, I began the long, um, arduous 
search to find a company to join that could meet all of my needs after um, just being able to do what I wanted for so long in so so many ways. And I feel so lucky that I am now uh, working with colleagues who are all of the things I've been searching for. And and now I'm able to uh, make some impact as well. So, so far, so good. Tell us what the Academy does. What, what, what do you so, guys, when, when you got there, what, what, what were they called and what did you do? Well, we are a professional organization and we administrate uh, three awards, the Communicator Awards, the W3 Awards, and the Davy Awards. And, um, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> excuse me. So um, what I'm trying to do at the Academy is really overhaul our membership so that we're reflective of the world that we live in. Uh, So I am making some changes in terms of our uh, membership body and getting rid of some of the older white men who've been afforded a lot of opportunity uh, that the rest of us, (laughs) hello, that the rest of us have not. Um, So I am uh, really just trying to take a hard look at who are some of the women and the BIPOC folk out in the world doing great, strong, creative work who maybe haven't thought about uh, joining an organization like ours. And so I'm reaching out to those folks and getting them into the fold. And once they're uh, joining our merry band, then we're going to start to change the kind of work that we're honoring and recognizing and looking at. And we're going to be able to um, really move forward with, I think, what's so important in the world today, which is just really changing how we talk about the work that we do and, and who's making it. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. the, tell me about those three different uh, awards, the Davies. So the Davies is for uh, small shops. So if you're a smaller agency, this is not for big uh, multinational global companies, right? Mm-hmm. This is for small shops, for freelancers, for consultants doing great work. So it doesn't matter uh, what the budget for your project was. You'll be on an equal uh, playing field with uh, the larger companies. So we really try hard to honor the great work from small shops. And we've also got the W3 awards, which are digitally focused Mm -hmm. and the communicator awards, which is our um, more broad program. And I'm super proud of the uh, communicator awards because I've been able to really overhaul and and rebrand the communicator awards with an amazing uh, creative Dana Satterwhite, who is, do you know Dana? He's amazing. Everyone should know his work. Um, I, I don't know him. I don't know him personally, but yeah, I, I, you've talked. Fantastic. About him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I was able to work with Dana and uh, Ken Rabe, two just fantastic salt of the earth creatives who I think um, reflect the work that we're trying to honor. Um, so I'm really just uh, doing what we can to offer some interesting thought-provoking content we're we're starting to push out some some really interesting uh content through our newsletter and i'm going to start doing more of that in 2021 and and just offering to folks something that i've been 
looking for as a professional now. You know, I'm I'm really interested in um, hearing from a lot more folks than I've been exposed to through more traditional publications or um, newsletters, whatever it is. Yeah. So um, just trying to amplify those voices as best we can. That's awesome. I love yeah. I love your story. I love how it kind of comes full circle, and now you're. Now you're sort of one of the gatekeepers of of this kind of crazy world that we're in, uh, and I think that's amazing. That it's great. Do. It's a it's a good responsibility to have. You know, I I owe it to the future folks who don't know that they can be a part of this world that they they can, and it's 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 all right if um, yeah you don't know about it yet, right? I'm here yeah. to hopefully get some people excited yeah, about it. You, you got into the world without knowing you were getting into the world uh, way earlier than probably you should have, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's a really, uh, that's why I, I was so excited to get your story down because I feel like it's really inspiring to people who maybe won't go to college, you know, yeah. maybe can't go to college or maybe can't go to the college they want to go to that. It's okay. Like, yes, go to college, uh, learn stuff, but also don't, rely on that to give you something that you got to go get anyway at the end of it. Um, exactly. And I think it's bullshit that there's no life experience that's equivalent to uh, the very valid learning that you do in college. It's true. That is real. I don't discount that. But yeah. I think it's a ridiculous to, um, to, to think that you can't gain that experience elsewhere in real life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and be a big reader. I, th I heard that yes. from you as well. Like, don't don't. Number just, one. Like, if you're not going to go to college, you gotta you gotta read stuff. What kind of stuff <laughs> would you read? What kind of stuff do you, do? You, what kind of stuff do you tell a you know, maybe a high school kid or somebody who's? Oh, don't tell them what to read. They've got to pick it for themselves. Because if okay, anyone's so telling fine, you what to read, you're not going to want. But that's do what it. I mean. Yeah. What like what just did you read. what did you read? What do we, well um, when you were I read, that age? Read the newspaper, uh, which is fun. But yeah. um, I am really uh, voracious about uh, contemporary fiction, which is not uh, necessarily the most uh, translatable to my to my day job. But it, it's just you know, reading makes you a better writer. So mm -hmm. no matter what it is, it's going to impact what you're doing. So I would say, don't tell anyone what to read. Just read. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. How do people get in touch with you? Where, where do they go to see what you're doing at the Academy? Oh, well, uh, you can find us at AIVA.org. And my email address is EVA at AIVA.org. The That's, best uh, email address ever. <laughs> best, best email address ever. And um, yeah, and, and you can check out our shows. And I'm really easy to find on the internet. And I respond to and you'll have shows when we can all get together again and, and we'll have a drink. We're, we're going to be shows. virtual. Yeah, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. That, that'll be great. And we didn't even talk about uh, your roller derby. Uh, what was, what's the we roller didn't. derby uh, organization called again? Roller, uh, well, my home league is the Gotham Girls Roller Gotham Derby. Girl. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gotham Girls Roller Derby. If you can go to a Gotham Girls Roller Derby match uh, in the future when we're able to have those kind of things, please do. Cause it's awesome to see so many women that could kick my ass, uh, <laughs> rolling around, uh, doing, doing cool shit and, and really like competing. I mean, that's not, that's not a joke sport. That is not fake news. That is not a lot of work. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you, you so much, Tom. This, this is, is so wonderful. Fun. Cool. Awesome. You're the best. Thanks Thank so you. much. Have a great day. All right. Day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. See the opportunities, do good work, and talk passionately about it, and go meet people in the business. Eva McCloskey just gave you the keys to the kingdom, people. You can find her at AIVA.org. This has been the A-List Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman. You can find me at TomChrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Hey, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review, it would really help us reach more ad nerds. The music you're hearing is from Ross Hopman over at Duotoneaudio.com. Thanks, everybody.